to uh, the book of 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18. When I was 15 years of age, I was saved and on a Monday night. And the following Monday night, God called me to preach. And all the way through high school, people would ask me, what are you going to be someday when you grow up? And I wasn't trying to be smart aleck or a know-it-all. But it was just the way the answer came out when they would say, when you grow up Hey, what are you going to be? My answer would be, I am a preacher. Not that I was going to be a preacher. I was a preacher. Now, I had never preached a sermon, but God had called me to preach, so I just thought I was a preacher. But when I was 15, 16, 17 years of age, I dreamed of tonight. I dreamed that someday I'd get to stand in front of a group of people and I'd get to preach to him. And I just feel like it's one of the greatest things in the world that God has allowed me all these years to continue to do week after week after week what I dreamed someday I'd get to do. And I'm thrilled to be here tonight. I'm not thrilled that it's the last night to be here uh, for this particular trip, but I'm thrilled to be here tonight. And I thank you for coming tonight, and especially those of you that have been faithful to all the services, or as many as you possibly could, thank you uh, for doing that. Tonight we're going to look at a very uh, familiar story, but we're actually going to focus on a somewhat unfamiliar portion of the story. The, the familiar story is about a young boy named David who's taking care of his sheep, and his father called him in and said, I need you to go down to where the battle is taking place. I need you to take some food to your brothers and check and see how they're doing. When David got there to the battle, he found out that the enemy, the Philistines, were challenging the Israeli army. They had a giant called Goliath. He was challenging somebody to come out and fight him. David volunteered to fight him. And we often use the phrase, David killed Goliath, and there's nothing wrong with using that phrase, but actually, God killed Goliath. He used David to do it. And most of all of that portion of the story is pretty familiar to most of us. But uh, the story continues from there. The next thing that happened was that Saul, the king, promoted David, a 17-year-old boy, to be the general of the army. If you would, look at chapter 18, 1 Samuel chapter 18, and we're going to begin with verse 5. And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him. This was immediately after he had killed Goliath. And notice this phrase, And behaved himself wisely, and Saul set him over the men of war, or made him the general of the army, or made him the, the chairman of the joint, uh, joint chiefs of staff. As it would, that would be the position here in our nation. And he was accepted in the sight of all the people, and also in the sight of Saul's servants. I think most all of us would agree that it was a miracle that God chose to use a 17-year-old boy to kill Goliath. But in my viewpoint, it is as much a miracle that Saul took a 17-year-old boy and made him the general of the army. <laughs> he had never been to boot camp. He had never been a private. He had never been a buck private. He had never been a, 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 a private first class. He had never been a corporal. He had never been a general. Uh, he had never been a, 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 a colonel. He had never been a captain. Uh, he, he had never spent one day in the army, and I feel it's as much of a miracle that he killed Goliath as that he got promoted to be the general of the army. But that's not the only two miracles that took place. A third miracle is, it says right there in verse 5, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's 
servants. What it's saying is, and Saul made David the, the general of the army. Everybody, whole country said, great idea. <laughs> Wonderful thing. Glad you did that, uh, Saul. We think you made the right decision. Can you imagine what the media would do with Trump <laughs> if he tweeted tomorrow morning <laughs> that he had chosen a 17-year-old boy and made him the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff? And can you imagine what the other uh, chief of staff, the, 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 the chief staff of the Army and of the Navy and of the Marines and, and, or the uh, Air Force and so forth, can you imagine how, how, how those men would treat that 17-year-old boy? But even Saul's servants, the other generals accepted him. What a miracle. It was a miracle he killed Goliath, or God used him to kill Goliath. It was a miracle he was made the general of the army. It was a miracle that everybody accepted it. And the fourth miracle, notice verse 5, and David went out whithersoever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely. What a miracle. This 17-year-old boy was given all the ingredients he needed to self-destruct. I mean, a 17-year-old kid had never been in the army, never been through a boot camp, and all of a sudden, he's the general of the army. Don't you think most 17-year-old kids would have gotten a little bit of a big head? <laughs> Don't you think most 17-year-old kids would have mishandled the situation to some extent? But the Bible said David behaved himself wisely. Now, let's continue to read, if you would, in verse 6. And it came to pass, as they came, uh, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine that the women came out of the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tabrets, with joy, and with instruments of music. And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul hath slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very wroth or angry or furious. And the saying displeased him, displeased Saul, and he said... They have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me ascribed but thousands. What can he have more but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day forward. So if you look at me just for a moment, when the battle was over, David and Saul came home from the battle. They're marching down the street, leading the forces on a, like a victory parade. The women of the cities came out. They lined up both sides of the street. One group answered the other group. They had written a, uh, a folk song about uh, Saul and David. Are any of you willing to admit you're old enough to remember the old song, The Green Beret, The Ballad of the Green Berets? You remember that back in the, I think, the late 60s or early 70s or somewhere along in there? 1970, not 1870. Uh, but, but, uh, but, but it was a song like that, you know, that, that song they sang about, uh, you know, I think so many are going to be tested today and only three are going to win the Green Beret and, and so forth. But the, these ladies were singing this song and verse 1 said, Saul has killed his thousands. And boy, they, uh, Saul liked verse 1. <laughs> but verse 2 said, And David has killed his ten thousands. And Saul didn't like that verse. And Saul got mad. He got jealous of David. Now let's continue reading in verse 10. And it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied in the midst of the house, and David played with his hand, or played his harp with his hand, as at other times, and there was a javelin, or we might call it a spear, in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the javelin, or the spear, for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And David avoided out of his presence 
twice. And Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, with David, and was departed from Saul. Therefore Saul removed him from him. So what it's saying in verse 13, Saul removed David from Saul and made him his captain over a thousand and he went out and came in before the people. Would you look at me for a moment? You see what's happening here? David was suddenly promoted to be the general of the army and the next day when Saul got jealous, he was now demoted to be the captain over a hundred instead of general of the entire army. Why did he get demoted? He didn't do anything wrong. Why did he get demoted? Because Saul was jealous, not because of anything David did. Uh, it, David didn't write the song. <laughs> the ladies wrote it and sang it, and Saul got jealous, and David got demoted. Now look at verse 14. And David behaved himself wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. So when David was promoted uh, to be the general of the army, he behaved himself wisely. But worse than being promoted to be the general of the army, now worse than that, he got demoted for, for not doing anything wrong, and now he behaved himself wisely in all his ways. Stay with me. Now look at verse 15. Wherefore, when Saul saw that he, David, behaved himself very wisely. He was afraid of him. Saul was afraid of David, verse 16. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. So when David was promoted at the age of 17 to be the general of the army, he behaved himself wisely. When he got demoted for not doing anything wrong, he behaved himself wisely in all his ways. But now, worse than both of those, David gets caught in the middle. He's caught between those who loved David, the people of the land, and the one who hated David, uh, Saul the king. He got caught in the middle between the two of them. You know, sometimes when you're with... Uh, 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 your your friends, you know how to react. You know how to relax and kind of say whatever you want to and let your hair down and, and just be yourself. And then other times when you're with your enemies, you know how to react. You know how to put your guard up a little bit and act a little different and, and be cautious about what you say and so forth. But David got caught in the middle between his friends that loved him and his enemy that hated him. And some of his friends that loved him also loved his enemy that hated him. Well, he really got caught in the middle. And when he did, he behaved himself very wisely. Now, if you would, look at verse 17. And Saul said to David, Behold my elder daughter Merab, her will I give thee to wife. Only be thou valiant for me, and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul said, Let not mine hand be upon him, but let the hand of the Philistines be upon him. Huh. Doesn't Saul sound pious there? Hey, David, I'll give you my daughter and let her be your wife if you'll be valiant for me and if you'll fight the Lord's battles. But what Saul was actually saying was, I've tried twice to kill the kid and I couldn't do it, so I'm going to let the Philistines kill him, right? Look at verse 28, please. And Saul saw and, uh, Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David. And that Michael, Saul's daughter, his other daughter, loved him, loved David. Verse 29. And Saul was yet the more afraid of David. And Saul, notice his phrase, became David's enemy continually. Verse 30. 
Then the princes of the Philistines went forth, or what it's saying is the leaders of the uh, Philistine army came forth to do battle. And, and it came to pass after they went forth that David behaved himself more wisely than all the servants of Saul so that his name was much set by. So when David was promoted as a 17-year-old boy to be the general of the army, he behaved himself wisely. He handled it uh, wisely. Then when he got demoted for not doing anything wrong, he behaved himself wisely in all his ways. And then when uh, he got caught in between, between Saul that hated him and the people that loved him and some of them loved each other and he got caught in the middle, he behaved himself very wisely. But now David had to choose his enemy. Have you ever heard the phrase, choose your battle? Well, David had to choose his enemy. Saul became David's enemy continually. But if you read the rest of the story, and I know most of you have before, you know that David never became Saul's enemy. You remember there was two different cases where David had a chance to kill Saul and he do it. David never became Saul's enemy, even though Saul was David's enemy continually. But when the Philistines came to do battle with them, David stepped up and fought against the Philistines. David chose the real enemy, the Philistines, not Saul. And, and, and when he did, David behaved himself more wisely than all of Saul's servants. You notice what's happening here? As life goes on, it becomes more and more complicated. You sometimes look around and think, how did I get here? My goodness, uh, how did this develop? You know, where did this come from? Well, look, it's, that, it's true for everybody. Don't feel like you're, you're stranded on an island somewhere and you're the only person this has ever happened to. Every one of us are, are, are totally depraved by our sin nature. Even if we're saved, we still got that old sin nature. And every one of us live on a earth that is totally accursed by sin. And as life goes along, it becomes more and more complicated. And as David's life became more and more complicated, he rose to the occasion. David could have used life as an excuse for why he couldn't succeed. But instead, he used life as a challenge that would help him to grow and to mature. What I'm going to do tonight is I'm just going to take a few brief moments. I don't think we'll be here near as long to than the other times. And I'm going to give you a formula on how to grow. I'm going to give you a formula on how to mature as life comes to you. I'm going to give you a formula on how to use life to succeed instead of letting life become an excuse for why you can't succeed. So here we go. I'm going to give it to you very quick. Uh, just list them for you quickly and make a comment or two about a couple of them. Number one, if you're going to uh, use this formula to, to, to mature and grow in life, here, here's number one. Number one, don't say anything immediately. Whatever comes your way, whether it's good or bad, don't say anything immediately. You know, David was promoted one day and demoted the next. And, and, and you're better off. You know, the Bible says, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. So don't say anything immediately, no matter what comes your way. Just, just, just don't say anything at first. And that leads me to number two. Don't respond while you're angry. Don't respond while you're angry. You remember what David said to the Lord? 
He said, O Lord, rebuke me not in thine anger, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. And Jeremiah said something very similar to it. He said, O Lord, correct me, but with judgment, not in thine anger, lest thou bring me to nothing. You know, if David and Jeremiah both thought that they had a better chance if God would... Okay, is this sacrilegious to word it this way? If God would calm down first before he disciplined them. You know, David said, God, I know you need to discipline me, but please calm down first. Jeremiah said, God, I know I deserve this, but but please, would you calm down first? If, if David and Jeremiah thought that God would treat them better after he calmed down, don't you think you and I would treat each other better? We'd calm down first. Don't say anything immediately. Don't respond while you're angry. Number three, act. Don't react. Now, what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is don't make your decisions based on how others treat you. Instead, make your decisions based on who you are. Don't allow someone else to take control of your behavior. You control your own behavior. I was in a situation not too long ago where a man who was supposed to be a Christian <laughs> cussed me out for an hour and 15 minutes. And when I say cussed me out, I don't mean he said, you're a meanie. <laughs> I mean, cuss me out, cuss me out. And in front of several other people, for an hour and 15 minutes, and I sat there, I never said one single word, I never opened my mouth, I sat there and thought, I know what you want. <laughs> you want me to come down there where you are, cuss it out with you, but I don't live down there. And you know, after an hour and 15 minutes, he ran out of words. And I, never, I still hadn't said a word, and he left. Act, don't react. Don't let someone else take control of your behavior. Number four, never allow an evil person or a simple person or an angry person drag you down to their level. You know, the Bible talks about a strange woman, about a, 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 a whorish woman or an evil woman or a simple woman or a lustful woman. You know, men, can I remind you of this? If a strange or evil or simple woman wants you because of what you are, when she gets you, you'll no longer be what you were that caused her to want you. Don't allow an evil person or an angry person or a simple person to drag you down to their level. In other words, don't criticize a critic. In other words, don't slander a slanderer. In other words, don't answer an open letter with an open letter or a Facebook post with a Facebook post. Uh, uh, don't try to match wit for wit. Don't try to match insult for insult. You know, anytime you get in a fight with a skunk, even if you win, you still come out smelling bad. <laughs> Number five, never become your enemy's enemy. Now, I don't mean a man shouldn't defend his family. I don't mean a man shouldn't be willing to defend his nation. But I mean... If someone is out to destroy you, don't make it your goal to destroy them. Don't become your enemy's enemy. Number six, never make any change of direction without mature counsel. Don't change some major direction in your life without getting some mature counsel. With some, what do you mean by mature counsel? Well, I mean in some cases, most cases, somebody older than you. Or in most cases, somebody who's more experienced than you are in that area. 
In most cases, I'm talking about someone who's been saved longer than you've been saved. Or someone who uh, is doing what you're doing, who has been doing it longer than you've been doing it. Or someone who has counseled often. Or someone who has been succeeding for a long term, uh, you know, on a long term basis. You know, just because somebody made one investment in the stock market and made a few dollars, <laughs> that doesn't mean he's necessarily qualified to be your, count, your, your financial counselor. You know, uh, uh, you, you ought to find someone who is succeeding in life and with his family. Uh, you, you know, just, just be, and by the way, the more of those ingredients the counselor can have, the better off you are. You know, just because somebody's older than you, that doesn't necessarily make them qualified to counsel you in this particular area. You know, somebody might be older than you, but if he's on his fifth marriage, and, uh, and, and, he's, and he's, he's talking about the divorce court again. And, and, uh, and three of his five kids are in prison and none of the five will speak to him. He might not be the one you want to get a, a family counsel. Now, he may be a good mechanic, but he might not be good at, 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 at counseling you with, about your family. So uh, find someone who is mature in the area where you need help before you make a major decision. Number seven. Never make a life-altering decision by yourself. What do I mean by that? Uh, involve your spouse. Involve your family. Uh, uh, get get, get uh, help, uh, uh, especially within your family. Look, if you're making a decision that's going to affect your marriage, your spouse ought to be involved in the decision. If you're making a decision that's going to affect your family, your family ought to be involved in the decision. And number eight, and I'm almost done, just two more. Number eight. Never make a major decision based only on money. Or never make a major decision based only on a position. Or never make a major decision based only on a title. Popularity or comfort or anger or retaliation. I remember when my pastor came to me, uh, our, our former pastor uh, had passed away, uh, Dr. Jack Hiles, and our new pastor came to me and he said, Ray, uh, the president of our college, Dr. Wendell Evans, is wanting to retire, and he's been the vice president now of the college for 11 years, so would you like to be the president of the college? And I said, uh, no, thank you. <laughs> I like what I'm doing. I love my job. I have no desire to do anything different. I'll just stay right where I am and continue doing what I've always done. Uh, I, I, I appreciate it, but, but no, thank you. He came back to me nine months later, and he said, Ray, Dr. Evans really is ready to retire. He said, I've spent nine months looking for a new president. I can't find one. I need you to be the president. Would you at least pray about it? And I said, no, I don't need to pray about it. If you need me to be the president, I'll be glad to do it. That's a different question than you asked me nine months ago. I, would, it, I, I had no desire to just take on the title because it sounded good. But if I needed to do something, that's a different decision. And then number nine, my last one is this. Instead of any of those eight things... Number nine, make all your decisions based on clear biblical principles and on a worthy cause and on an opportunity that would allow you to serve God more, not less. Make all your major decisions based on clear biblical principles. Make all your major decisions based on a cause that is a worthy cause. You know it's a worthy cause to be a good husband? It's a worthy cause to be a good wife? 
It's a worthy cause to be a good mother or a good father. It's a worthy cause to be a good Sunday school teacher. It's a worthy cause uh, to be a good, uh, a good soul winner, a faithful soul winner. It's a worthy cause uh, to do something that would allow you to serve God more, not less. You know, David used life to mature, not to self-destruct. Where I end up in life will pretty well be determined by how I respond what life brings me. Can I admit to you there's a, there's a verse in the Bible that confused me for many years? The verse in the Bible that says, Time and chance happeneth to them all. When I read that verse, I thought, well, some people don't live as long as other people do. Time and chance happen to them all. And I didn't have the chance he had. How can time and chance happen to them all? And finally, it dawned on me one day that I had the same time and chance to respond to what life brings me as you have to respond to what life brings you. We all had the same chance. No, I didn't grow up where you grew up. And no, I didn't grow up in your family. And no, I didn't learn some of the things you learned. And no, I didn't have some of the lucky breaks you had. But I had the same chance to respond to whatever life brought me that you had to respond to whatever life brought you. David responded what life brought him wisely. You can spend your life blaming life for why you can't succeed or you can spend your life using life to help you mature so that you can live for a worthy cause. You know, some of us really don't mind fail as long as we have an excuse. The problem is someone else will take my excuse and turn it into success. David behaved himself wisely. He behaved himself wisely in all his ways. He behaved himself very wisely. He behaved himself more wisely than all of the rest of, day of Saul's servants. How is Ray Young going to respond to life? How are you going to respond to life? I have every head bowed and every eye closed.